We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, folks? Welcome back to another episode of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Untuck It. More on them later. Uh, my name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining tonight, joining me tonight, as always, is former NFL defensive back and all-around good guy, Eric Crocker. <laughs> how, you, how, you, how you doing, man? How you feeling? I'm feeling like a number one seed in the NFC. I wonder what it means to just walk around and say you feel like a number one seed. Like, if you just told that to a random person, like, they're like, hey, how are you? I'm like, I feel like a number one seed. They'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, I think they'll just be like, you know what? You look like a champion. Is that how you feel? Uh, (laughs) As long as they knew what you were talking about. You must be a 49er fan. That's about right. Right. I want to say that to somebody who doesn't know football at all. Like, like, I feel like the number one seed. They're like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Just walk off. Yeah. Yeah, it feels good, though, man. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It has. It has. And in in case uh, you have lived under a rock for the past week and you just came out from underneath that rock and the first thing you did was listen to the Striking Gold podcast, which I would be very very honored if you did that, but I would assume you had other things to do. But if you don't know, uh, the 49ers beat the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle on – Sunday, Sunday, right? It was Sunday, right? Sunday yeah, night. Sunday the last evening, game of the, the very last game of the regular season. Um, 
They beat the, the Seahawks in Seattle for the first time in, a, in eight years. Whew. Eight years. <laughs> Not well, games. So was the last time when um, Ted Ginn had like two returns for touchdowns, was that the last time? That had to have been it because that was with Harbaugh. Yeah. And, yeah, and it even looked like the 49ers were going to lose that one. And then Ted Ginn just went off. And uh, and uh, that was one of Harbaugh's – I mean, that was Harbaugh's first year, wasn't it? Yep, 2011, uh, yeah. first uh, game of the Alex season. Smith. First game of the season, I mean. Right, right. What a trip. What a trip. So, yeah, it's been a long time since the 49ers have won in Seattle, which is crazy. Um and it was, you know, obviously an outstanding game. There was so many things that we could spend an entire podcast talking about, but we're going to try and be a little shorter because, uh, as most of you listening know, um, I put out on Twitter earlier this evening that me and uh, Eric were going to do a, a mailbag episode. It just seemed like a good time. The 49ers have a bye this week. Uh, you guys get to watch playoff football without stressing about it. And just seemed like a good time for a mailbag episode, see what kind of questions you guys had, see what you guys were feeling, what you're thinking. Um, so we're going to spend most of this episode running through those questions. And I ha- we haven't gone through them. We haven't separated them out. We're just going to go through one by one and answer them all and you know see where everybody's at. But before we get to that, we will talk about the Seahawks game for a little bit because there's no way we could go through this podcast and not talk about the Seahawks game because it was incredible. So... Why don't you what's why don't you lead us off, Croc? What's like and, and you might have more than a few things to talk about, but what's what's one thing that stands out to you about that game that, that first rolls off your tongue? Yeah. I the first thing that came to my mind, the first word was just resiliency. And you know, the 49ers showed that throughout the year. I think that this was this game was just like the icing on the cake, where it, it was just that last like thing that the 49ers needed heading into the playoffs to really feel like, you know what, we can we can beat anyone. And we kind of took down the boogeyman. And, and that's what Russell Wilson has been. That's what Seattle has been, especially in Seattle. They've been the boogeyman. Pete Carroll, um, I, I think he's even more annoying chewing his gum when, when he's beating your team. So um, just to kind of overcome that and go out there, and it, it was a lot closer than I feel like it had to be. But at the end of the day, 49ers found a way to pull out a win. And I mean, the 49ers, you know, to close out the season, they beat Seattle, they beat the Packers, they beat the Saints. And those are the, are the other big dogs in the NFC. So, you know, I think you feel a little bit better going into the playoffs after a win like that, because Lord knows you, you don't want to have to go on the road, you know, and have to win three road games to get to the Super Bowl. So um, just, just big time. And they, like I said, they just show resiliency. And I, I'm just really excited about, um, what they did and, and where they're headed. Well, to me, the the first thing that, that I think about is like how many like weird, not weird. That's a horrible word for it. It's just like how many big moments in a row there were there towards the end. Like, like you'd think like there were so many little tiny game defining moments all set up in a row where, you know, first the 49ers get the ball back and I can't remember. I'd have to get into the, the, the playlist to see how much time there was left, but I know it was like under four minutes where the 49ers got the ball back. And basically a successful drive that involved a couple first downs would have put the game away. And the 49ers were facing a, a third and short. And then Ben Garland was flagged for that insane um, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And I think it was, they called it unnecessary roughness, but. Yeah, and that was, was on second down or 
No, it was. Uh, it was. It was. It was after the play, so they. Yeah, they, it might have been first down, but it, it short, was, and they added it to. It was going to be third and short, but then they added that yardage onto the third down to make it third and long, third and forever. So, it was you know the 49ers were going to from needing like two yards to needing 17 yards because they added the 15 yards on after the play. So it was this huge swing and the 49ers almost picked up the first down anyways. Raheem Mostert caught a sh- short pass from Garoppolo and, and and came only a couple yards away from picking it up himself. Um but that ended that drive for the 49ers who were still on their side of the field. So it's not like they sure they could have gone for it on fourth and short, but with the with the game on the line like that, it was obviously wise to, to punt it. And they, but that was just it was an insane call to me. I could not believe that a that an NFL referee and I I guess that's the that's the worst way to phrase a sentence that like there'd be something an NFL referee could do that I wouldn't believe. But you can't look at a player and watch what that player is doing in the frame of the play because Ben Garland was flagged for a late hit when he was, he was running downfield to block a safety, um, not realizing that the the person running the ball had already been tackled. And it was because Mike McGlinchey missed his block and it looked like the play was going to go for big yardage, but it didn't uh, because he missed his block and he was tackled. And um, Ben Garland didn't know that he's in Seattle. The 49ers are on offense. That place is freaking so loud. It's unreal. So he was just going down and he was blocking his guy and he kind of like dove down to cut him. And the play was over at that time. It had been over for about a second or two. I think it was, it was maybe a second or two after the whistle and he got flagged for unnecessary roughness, you know, a late hit. And to me, it was just an un, it was even for NFL referees, an uncharacteristic lack of understanding of, why this guy was doing that. He wasn't just running downfield to smash the safety because he was feeling chippy. Like the, he thought the play was still going on. So to me, it seems like a referee would run up and say, Hey dude, plays over. Hey, like, you know, it, it, it just didn't seem like a moment where he flagged for 15 yards. So there was that, uh, the Seahawks get the ball back. They immediately drive back down the field. They get all the way, um, within the 12 yard line. And they ran eight plays within the 12 yard line. And there were there were like two or three like little game defining plays within their drive where it was fourth and ten. Uh, Russell Wilson hits his receiver on the one yard line. So at that moment, I'm sure every single 49ers fan was like, "Well, that's it. They need one yard. It's first down." And you know, it is what it is. And then instead of just running like a quarterback sneak where they probably could have scored anyways, uh, Russell Wilson spikes the ball and to make it second down and. I, I guess because they spiked the ball, Pete Carroll completely lost track of the, the rules of the game and the fact that the moment you spike the ball, the play clock just starts running. And, like, I don't know if they thought they were awarded some type of timeout or something. I mean, obviously it stops the game clock, but you still have to run the next play. And the play clock just kept ticking, and they weren't even out of the huddle yet when it got – I mean, I, maybe they were on their way out of the huddle yet when it expired, and that was the delay of the game. It took them from a one-yard to the five-yard line, and that changed everything. You know, and they uh, they 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 had a few pass attempts from the the six yard five and a half six yard line, and then the, obviously the the game deciding play came down to that pass to Jacob Hollister and rookie linebacker Dre Dre Greenlaw met him at the line and stopped him about two inches short to win the game. So to me, it was just and obviously that's a really long way of, of explaining my takeaway. But there were just towards the end of the game, there were so many little moments that seemed like they were going to define the game and that would be it. 
but it just, it just kept finding a way to continue all the way down to the very last play. And it was just, you know, I know for a lot of 49ers fans, that was probably incredibly stressful, Very, <laughs> but very stressful. it was, it, it was nuts. Like it was just such a weird game. And like when the, when the Seahawks had the ball second down on the one yard line or, you know, even on first down before he spiked it, you're like, okay, here comes Marshawn Lynch. He's going to get, they're finally going to run it in on the one. And you know, the, the place is going to go nuts and the 49ers are going to lose in Seattle again. And you know, all that stuff, but yeah, it didn't I, happen. I thought it was over. I, I for sure. I thought it was over. I said, damn. Well, and you were right to like, look at the situation, you know, all they needed was one yard and they had plenty of time to do it. It, was, it wasn't even a time thing. So it was, it, it was nuts. I just, just you just don't see him like that, and for that to be the very last game of the regular season to decide the NFC's number one seed, and you know, with so many things on the line, it was crazy. It felt like the 49ers just won a playoff game, even though the playoffs hadn't even started yet. You know, or it was just nuts, or you felt like they won the NFC Championship game and they were going to the Super Bowl. Like I, yeah, but I, I think that's what it was was going to feel like going. You know, I thought it was going to go like that heading into the game, where it was going to feel like a playoff game, and it was going to have a, that type of playoff atmosphere. I think a lot of it because of, you know, just what was on the line. The number one seed for us, for the 49ers in the bye week. Um, now, the, the Seahawks, I don't think regardless of how that game went, they they, they weren't going to get a first-round bye regardless. Um, but it, it was definitely a huge game for the 49ers and a chance to get um, home field throughout. So Right, and that's um, – Yeah, we definitely had that playoff field. That's, the, that's the thing that, that, I, that I just – I feel like everybody knows it. But the importance of that that win just cannot be overstated. The 49ers, now obviously you're in the playoffs and every team you're facing is going to be good. The 49ers have to win two home games and they're in the Super Bowl. Like, it's just crazy that that, that that's all that's left. Every, you know, they've, they've put together this, I wouldn't say miraculous, but incredibly impressive 13 and three season exceeding everybody's expectations. And what's crazy is it's a 13 and three season where even the losses felt like they could have won. So, you know, every single one of them are, you know, not, not felt like, like they could have won it. You, most of them came down to the last second. So they, they put down this amazing season and now they're at a point where all they're all they need is two wins at home and they're going to the Super Bowl, which is just crazy to me to just kind of bake on that. You know, and it's just like think about it for a little bit. Um, and they've you know, they've done they, they did so many things for themselves with that win in regards to other teams, you know, and the 49ers game is on a, it's January 11th. I believe it's a Saturday afternoon. And what and 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 I I believe and I should have looked at other, at this already, but the Seahawks and the Eagles are playing on Sunday, are they not? Yeah, Sunday at like one thirty five or one forty or something like that. So the Forty ers not only granted gave earned themselves a bye week to have plenty of time to heal and, and prepare for this game, and it, you know Kyle Shanahan, I'm sure there's so many levels of his game plan that he could probably implement before he even knows who the opponent's going to be. There's probably so many things he just knows he's going to do. Um, and not only did they get that extra time, but whoever they're going to face is going to do it on a short week. And it's, you know, which 
is such a huge advantage. And no matter who they're going to be facing is traveling, is doing a lot of traveling. You know, it's, you're either facing, if Minnesota beats the Saints, they're facing them no matter what, because they're the sixth seed and the 49ers are going to face the lowest seed no matter what. Um, you know, but whether it's the, whether Minnesota wins or the Eagles win or the Seahawks win, the C, if the Seahawks win, let's just say the Seahawks win, which, which, if you had asked me to predict it, I would predict the Saints win and the Seahawks win. That's just what I would predict. And even then, the Seahawks have to travel to the – they have to travel to Philadelphia then back from Philadelphia, and then they'll have a few days to prepare, and then they got to come down to Santa Clara and play the 49ers. So there is – in no way is any of this ideal for any of the on other On a short week. On a short week. Right, right, on a short week. So they're, they're going to have like two or three days to prepare, and, and it's just the, – the amount of that – what am I, what's the best way of saying is here? I mean, the, the amount of, it, of an advantage that the 49ers gave themselves by beating the Seahawks and earning that number one seed is just unreal. Now, obviously, that doesn't guarantee their win. It, far from it. But, I mean, you even think, let's say they win uh, their first playoff game. And, like, I just going off what I predicted, the Saints win. You're now, you're now asking Drew Brees, you know, a 40-year-old quarterback to travel across the country. That whole team has to come out of the dome where they're so good, come to an outdoor stadium. Who knows what the weather's going to be like? And, it, it, you know, it just. It'll be below 20 of, degrees or uh, 20 or below. Right. It, it's it's just it's just crazy how much of a favorite. If the, if the, for, the 49ers path to the Super Bowl is as good as it can possibly get at this point, it's just up to them. To, to make it happen now. And you've got so many things that are, you know, injury wise that are going for them. They're expected to get back uh, starting safety. Jaquiski Tart, he's already practicing still in the blue Jersey, which means limited contact or, you know, no contact really. And D Ford is expected to come back. He hasn't returned to practice yet, but they expect him. They're optimistic. He'll be ready to go for uh, January 11th, whoever they're playing. Um, and then Quan Alexander returned to practice which I don't think he will be playing. And, and we'll get way more into this because uh, I have a lot of questions about Quan. You would have it. Um, I'm not sure he'll be playing on the 11th. I don't think he will be. But anyway, but just getting a guy like that back at practice and from everything every player has said about him, he's such an emotional guy that lifts the spirits of everybody and he has, has so much energy. Just having him back out there is probably just a huge emotional boost for this team. So, but that's it. You know what I mean? And, and all of that came to the Seahawks, came back to the Seahawks game and then enabling this team to put them in such a good position that if they want to go to the Super Bowl, this is the time. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. it's just crazy. It's crazy. So, uh, you know, and, and one more thing I think you should probably talk about before we gloss over the, before we put the Seahawks game behind us is like the rookies have just freaking in that game in particular and on the season have just been playing out of their mind, you know, like Nick. Right. Well, huge huge uh, uh, contributions from, like you said, Bosa, but, you know, obviously Debo Samuel, but Drake Greenlaw and, and then Al Shire, um, you know, him too, starting that Sam, uh, he, he was on the field a lot. And, you know, just, you know, all those guys that, you know, you, you typically don't see this many young guys contributing to, a number one seed team, but I mean, here, here we are, you know, uh, a lot of first and second year guys, even guys like, you know, Harris who, you know, yeah, Tart's coming back, but I thought Harris filled in and, you know, he had a rough little start against the Saints, but after that, I thought he's, you know, he's been playing very well. 
Uh, he, he played well again against Seattle. Um, just a lot of contributors, man, like young guys, first and second year guys. It's it's uh, a big, uh, I say, uh, boost of confidence to to Robert Sala, you know, who is getting these guys ready and, and what this coaching staff is able to do. And I think that's why we'll see, you know, we're hearing about Robert Sala getting uh, interviews from, you know, teams with open head coaching uh, positions, you know, just what, what what he's done, man, with just the injuries and everything has been amazing. Right. And, and it was just, it's been crazy to watch. Like Nick Bosa, he didn't have a sack in the Seattle game. Um, but I jumped on pro football focus page and I think they have him something like 11 or 12 pressures, which if you, if you know, if you're unaware of pressure just means getting in the backfield, disrupting the play. Um, moving the quarterback off his spot, forcing him to roll out, scramble, what have you. Um, Nick Bosa had like 11 or 12 pressures, which is just ridiculous among like the best of any player on the season. And you know, that when you're not getting a sack and you have that kind of number to back it up, you know, it's, there's no way you can point to that game as being like a failure and for him to step up and, and have that kind of game in this type of situation, you know, that's exactly what the 49ers were hoping for. And then, you know, obviously Nick Bosa was taken number two overall. And then number 36 overall, you had Debo Samuel and he's playing like a genuine number one receiver. And what's crazy is when the 49ers picked up or traded for Emmanuel Sanders, my first inclination was, okay, Debo's role is going to decrease a little bit, but if anything, it's increased, you know, twofold. He's just been um, such a, reliable go-to target for Garoppolo in clutch situations, third downs, um, big plays. He had that 30 yard run where he, you know, spun. It was just a highlight reel where he just, you uh, got out in front of him, actually took out two different guys. And right as he was, right as you was making that block, Debo Samuel spun right at the sideline to stay inbounds and score the touchdown. And he just, he looks amazing. He just looks so good. He's getting so open. He had, you know, that one that one play you were breaking down on Twitter where he just had that, like, beautiful inside release. Even though he was going outside, he took the, the DB way inside and got it. Obviously, was able to swim over him and take it out. And, you know, when you first see that play, you would think it was something Kyle Shanahan drew up. Like, oh, look how open he is, of course. But it was just that mean of a route. He just sent that quarterback cornerback somewhere else, and uh, and he went and did his thing. So it was pretty impressive. And obviously you have uh Wisnowski's done fine, you know, for a punter. I mean, he hasn't been bad. And then Dre Greenlaw stepping in and making the play of the game. And he had 13 total tackles. So him making that play was just like the, the final crescendo of, of an outstanding performance from him. And, you know, 13 total tackles. I think he hit the quarterback once and had a tackle for loss. So he was outstanding. And, you know, that, that play to, what could be the 49ers biggest play of the year. We'll see where the season goes, but you know, for him to step up and make that play as a rookie in that situation. And that's nuts, man. That's just nuts. Yeah. No matter how the season goes, he, he definitely put the 49ers in a more favorable uh, position in the playoffs. Right. So it's, it, there was just so many guys stepping up and, and one of them that we haven't even really mentioned yet is Jimmy Garoppolo who had, he didn't throw a touchdown, but he had one of the best games of the year. I think he only had four incompletions, and he completed every single pass in the fourth quarter. I think he was like seven of seven for 120-something yards. And obviously him not having a touchdown is, isn't a fault against him. If you watch the game, the 49ers were just able to run it in uh, you know, three different times. So it was just a, 
for him to, and, and I feel like as Garoppolo's went on throughout the season, he has no problem playing in big games. If anything, he prefers it. He kind of struggled with the first time the 49ers played the Seahawks. He had quite a few passes. It seemed like they could have been picked off. And then obviously he had some drops that resulted in a, t- or in, in interception and stuff like that. But it just seems like as the season's gone on, he's, he's played his best games when the 49ers needed him most, whether that was the defense wasn't pulling their weight or it's a shootout against Drew Brees. It just seems like he's developed into, you know, somebody that not only Shanahan can rely upon, but can, you know, lean upon like, Hey, we're not getting it done elsewhere. We need you to have a game. And, and he seems like he's capable of doing it now. And it's, he's obviously comfortable, whatever timidness he showed towards the beginning of the year coming off that ACL injury. It seems like it's all gone. He's moving around fine. He's scrambling when he needs to. So it's just been cool to watch him slowly build up steam throughout the season and become, uh, I mean, I don't I easily, I, I would say easily a top 10 quarterback and you could probably go higher than that. Quite a bit higher. Well, yeah, I, I'd say I, I agree with you, but you know, there's one guy I saw on Twitter. He had his playoff rankings, and he had Jimmy Garoppolo, the 11th best uh, quarterback in the playoffs. So that's out of 12 teams. Um, so yeah, I, I think you and I both would disagree with his rankings. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean he's just been he's been too good. Like the dude completed like almost 70 percent of his passes on the season. I think he was fourth in scoring. Uh, you know, he, I think he led the NFL in, in yards per attempt. Now, obviously, you can get a little bit of a nod to Shanahan, but every good quarterback has a good offensive scheme to rely upon. They're not all just throwing these amazing back shoulder faves that are Im- immaculate placement. You know, that's just not how the NFL works. Every single one of these good quarterbacks has an at least dependable scheme that goes with them and that enables them to do their thing. And, and Garoppolo is no different. So, I mean, it's just, I feel like a lot of the people that, that disparage him just didn't watch him play. They'll look at the interception numbers and not even realize that probably five or six of them bounced off the hands of receivers or, you know, or pass catchers, you know, it's like stuff like that. They're not going to know. They just didn't watch it. They haven't seen some of the plays he's made. So, I mean, I don't get all bent out of shape if somebody doesn't like Garoppolo or whatever, but I just, I feel like if, if he were deserve criticism, I would criticize him. He's just been really good. You know, I, I don't, nothing I can, nothing I can say, but all right. So that's a little bit on the Seahawks game. Obviously, like I said, we're in a bye week now. So we are going to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Untuck It. And then right when we come back, we will get into your questions for the mailbag and we'll start firing, firing away with those. So stick with us. Um, Quick word. Have you ever seen an untucked button down? They just look bad. Why do they look bad? Because they weren't made to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or your shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. I've got a couple Untuck It shirts, and I like them for two reasons. One, they, they feel good. Like, they feel good on my skin, and they fit well. The big reason I pretty much wear dry fit 99.9% of the time is because nothing else feels good on my skin. Untucked shirts are actually made, made with a nice material, so they feel good. And you feel good wearing them because obviously they're made to be worn like that. You can find your favorite Untucked style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, 
outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website's so easy to use. You have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit, so there's no excuses. Whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. 20%. It's a good discount. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Okay, Crocker, are you ready for this? Yes, sir. We got a ton of questions here. So, and and just a little to preface this, I have not gone through these questions and said, oh, I'm not going to answer that one. I don't like this one. These two are the same. We're going to roll through these. And yes, some of, a lot of them probably will have similarities to another, but we're going to try and give every single one of you a quick shout out and give an answer. And what I figure we'll do, Croc, is we'll just bounce back and forth. I'll read the questions. And we'll, we'll both talk about each one of them, but I'll, you know, I'll start and then I'll hand one off to you and then back and forth. That cool. All right. Sounds good. All right. So first question is from Brendan. Do you have the Eagles or Seahawks winning on Sunday and who would you rather face in the divisional round? I'm guessing the answer is Eagles, but round three versus Seattle at Levi's could be a treat to watch 100%. I mean, Okay, so first question, yes, I'd rather the Eagles win. I feel like the Eagles are a much more beatable team. Carson Wentz is all over the place, and they, I just don't feel like they – yes, they just they just won a Super Bowl not too long ago, but that wasn't with Carson Wentz. And I just feel like before – it's Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Anytime you could not have anything to do with that, you want nothing to do with that. They just – they have a clutch gene, you know, and even if they didn't win on Sunday – Anytime the 49ers can avoid the Seahawks, I I think that's the way to go. But that being said, obviously Seahawks 49ers round three at Levi's to go to the NFC championship game would be incredible. It'd be taking us right back to 2011, 12, 13 era, watching those teams duke it out. I think for entertainment value, that's the way to go. But if I'm talking, I want to go to the NFC championship and I want a Super Bowl, I think the 49ers are probably going to be rooting for the Eagles to win. What do you think, Croc? Yeah, no, I, I agree. For, forget all that uh, classic moments and all that. Like, I'd rather see a blowout. <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty sure my blood blood pressure has kind of risen over this last uh, month or so. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think it's the Seahawks at the 49ers to be playing. Um, but I'm not going to roll out the Eagles because really at the end of the day, I don't think the Seahawks are all that good. So, you know, with them having to travel across the country all the way to the East Coast, playing whatever whatever kind of inclement weather that, that the Eagles have there in Philadelphia, I'm not saying that it's a it's a just a for sure win for the Seahawks. Um they're gonna have to bring their A game. They're banged up, they have a lot of injuries, um, and they're gonna have to go into somebody else's house and kind of push them around it. You know, from everything I understand about Philadelphia, the town, the team, they're not just going to be pushed over. So I think it's going to be a lot better game than most people are anticipating because everything I've seen so far is, oh, 49ers and Seahawks in two weeks. I'm not so sure about that. 
Right. And, and, and I, yeah. So I, like I said, I don't want to spend too much on these questions just because I want to get to everybody's. Um, but I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think I'd rather see the Eagles win. And I think it's going to be a good game, especially having to go into a place uh, like Philadelphia in January. It's not going to be, it's not going to be amazing. In fact, I'm going to waste a little bit of your time right now while I look up what the weather is going to be like for that game. Phil, uh, there we go. And that is, when are they playing? Sunday or Saturday? Uh, Sunday. 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 Okay. Well, they got lucky in that regard. Saturday is supposed to be rain with a high of 55. Sunday, it's supposed to be sunny, but it's a high of 41 and a low of 34. So it's going to be cold, and it, it's not really going to be what, you know, the Seahawks are used to, to playing at. And, you know, it could be – that field could be in rough shape. If it's supposed to rain right now, it's supposed to rain Friday, and it's supposed to rain Saturday. So that could be an interesting game. And uh, the Philadelphia has got a pretty impressive running game going right now, and, and I think that, that would definitely favor them. So anyways, moving on. we got Akash, fellow um, Niners Nation homie. Which opponent are you rooting for Sunday, Philadelphia, Minnesota, or Seattle? I think – I mean, wh- what do you think, Croc? I'm going to hand this one off to you. You start. Philadelphia, Minnesota, or Seattle? Um, like as far as who we'd rather play? I think that's what he means by it, yeah. I I would say Philadelphia just because they're I mean they they are the most banged up team. I mean the, the receivers that they're playing with, uh, Greg Ward. I mean he was a quarterback at Houston. He's actually playing well. And he was and he was a receiver in the AAF, AAF which I I was watched. He? Yeah, he was in the AAF when it was just a little earlier this year. Oh wow! See, I didn't know that. Um, and they've just signed some other guys off the streets. Who I, I was watching the game and I, I can't tell you who they are. Um, they do have, you know, obviously a great tight end, but, and and then they're running back now, Sanders, he's banged up. So, I mean, I, you know, obviously you would like to face the most banged up team and that would be them. The the Vikings, I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on. They have a sneaky good team and they, they lost Devin Cook over the last couple of weeks or, or, or whatnot. And that kind of hurt them down the stretch a little bit, but they get Cook back and he's healthy. That defense, that defensive line can take over a game still, um, so and, and then they still have Harrison back there at safety, so he can. He, yeah, yeah. The the Vikings, I think, are a sleepy, uh, a sleeper um, that a lot of people aren't talking about. But yeah, out of all the teams, yeah, obviously, I rather face the Eagles. I think so too, and they have the worst record out of all three of them. And you know, they 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 kind of got by the fact that that division is just so horrible. And you know, you had two, you know, seven and eight, eight and seven teams competing to go to the playoffs you know it's it's crazy so I definitely think the Eagles are the weakest team out of there it just happened to be the way they won the division it's just that's what it is so all right so next we have Ian why isn't Raheem Mostert running back getting 20 touches per game he is electric I agree with you now what I would say is yes I believe Raheem Mostert should be getting the the majority of touches and he is right now he is, he is getting the majority of touches. Um, just to kind of elaborate on that, against the Seahawks, Raheem Mostert got 10, uh, Breida got 4, and Coleman got 5. So Matt, uh, Raheem Mostert had more touches than, than Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman combined, and he was productive with him. He averaged 5.7 yards per carry, scored two touchdowns, looked outstanding, and that's kind of just been his MO over the last you know five or six weeks. He's been one of the NFL's best running backs on a per-touch basis. Uh, I think he's averaging like six over six yards a carry, something silly. Um, but I also know that Shanahan has a firm belief on 
who he feels should be in there for every single play and who, which of those running backs is best suited for any given play. That's why you saw like Jeff Wilson come into the game to, to win it all against the Cardinals. Like he, in his mind knows who he wants to run every single play and, and who he wants to get in and, and where and why. And sometimes he kind of just shocks it up to, Oh man, I should have got this guy more touches. That's my bad. But I feel like he, in his mind, whether it's conscious or subconscious knows who he wants out there for any given play, whether that person's more of a passing threat than another running back. So I feel like there's a deeper answer to this that, that not even I'm going to be able to get to because I'm nowhere near the, the football acumen of someone like Shanahan. But I feel like he knows why any given player is out there at any given moment. That being said, I feel I, I think just by the nature of how he's handled himself, I think Shanahan knows that Raheem Mostert is the hot hand. He's the guy that's on fire. He's the one that's running his offense the best. He's catching the ball. He's running the ball well. I expect him to continue to get the majority of touches throughout the rest of the playoffs. Maybe it's not Kyle, though. Maybe maybe it's Bobby Turner. Right. True. Yeah, you also have a, an actual running back coach back there that's actually, you know, might be spreading things out or whatever. But And we don't know what goes on in practice and, and how each player behaves on a weekly basis. But, you know, it, as of right now, Raheem Mostert is giving the majority of touches. And he is the 49ers leading running back. Could he be more so? Sure. But, you know, it, him getting – he got 10 carries and Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball 22 times. So it's not like – I mean, it wasn't that uneven of a split in the fact, you know. So – I feel like could they give Raheem Mostert more carries? Yes, absolutely. But he's already getting the majority. So and, and games kind of unfold in different ways sometimes. So uh, okay, moving on. We have 49ers fan for life. Too easy. Even though their mind is on finishing the season strong and concentrating on the Super Bowl, who would be a good fit to replace Sala? Crocker, you got any ideas? It's a little early, but um, yeah. I, I mean, I they. The thing is that the 49ers are, you know, pushing for a deep playoff run. So if Salah, somebody does come and get him, you probably would try to get somebody in-house. And that person would probably be probably be Joe Woods. So right. I think that's probably the easiest way to go. If they want to keep the scheme similar, you know, he'll probably have his little, you know, touches on it. But at the end of the day, 49ers, just, they have an extremely talented team. So uh, you know, I don't know how much it matters who the defensive coordinator is if, if it's a healthy defense out there on the field. Right. And, and, I, and yeah, so that I feel like they'd all share the same vision and there probably wouldn't be that much of a drop off. Uh, it, it depends. Maybe I'm sliding Saul a little bit, but Joe Woods, the, the secondary coordinator, um, passing game coordinator, kind of the way they, they word it. He's also the defensive backs coach. He's been a defensive coordinator coordinator in the past. He was one recently with the, the Broncos. So I feel like if they needed somebody to just step in and they, you know, they weren't that confident in all their options out there, uh, he could obviously do it. And then another interesting name out there is, uh, is Chris Richard from the, uh, he's with Dallas right now. He's was their defensive coordinator. Um, but he is, He's either their defensive coordinator or is their is their secondary guy. He he is their defensive back coach, but I think he's their passing game coordinator, and he ha- he's also their play caller. But he's okay. not, so he's he's not, not like the D coordinator. I think it's uh, Rob Marinelli or whatever is Marinelli. Right, right, right. So he's he's got like kind of a, a complex role there, and he's a former Seattle guy. Um, so that, you know, if he gets let go because they just announced today that they were going to fire um, Jerry Jones, not Jerry Jones. What am I talking about? 
um, whatever the Cowboys name is. I just, the coach. Jason Garrett. There you go. I just got them all confused. I was just reading about it earlier. Um, they let him go, and usually when that happens, the whole staff goes too. Uh, so he's an interesting option, but like I said, it's just early. You know, I, I have no idea what's going to happen with Sala, but we'll see. There's there's definitely some options out there. Okay, so we now we have – this is 49er for life, not 49er fan for life. Different question. Name one player besides Jimmy and Kittle that has to play big for us to advance to the dance. Um, I don't I, – my first, you know – Okay, so he said Jimmy, Jimmy and Kittle. So I'm going to go with Nick Bosa because um, I want to get to the other side of the ball. I wanted to say Debo Samuel out of nowhere, but I'm going to just keep it on Nick Bosa. And I don't know um, – D. Ford's coming back. I don't know how effective he's going to be. I don't know how many, how many snaps he's going to be. I just know – that. And, and Crocker, we'll probably get to this maybe in another question, but you were talking on Twitter earlier about so many of those Seattle plays came down to the fact that the, the wide receivers just had too much time to run around and, and break free of coverage. And it turned into a scramble drill and Nick, it, it, we'll see how much D Ford we get, but it, it's on Nick Bosa to just keep the pressure going and make sure stuff like that doesn't happen, especially if they're going to go up against Seattle again. So you got a, you got a different answer there, Croc? Um, I, I would say a unit. I will say the offensive line. I, I think they played outstanding against Seattle um, much better than they did in the previous game. They gave up a couple of sacks, but um, one was on – it looked like a really weird kind of like busted play by the 49ers pass protection. Just kind of had it – how they had it drawn up to block the play. It was kind of weird. But um, outside of that, I thought the offensive linemen, they, they they played extremely well. And if they continue to play like that, Jimmy Garoppolo will continue to be uh, extremely efficient and the 49ers will continue to put up points. I, I think they'll score even more points next time. Yeah, and it, one thing worth expanding on is – Jimmy Garoppolo got sacked twice on the opening drive, and you were like, uh-oh, he's in for a long night. They never gave up a sack for the entire game. Joe Staley completely shut down um, Jadeveon Clowney, who owned him the first time they faced. Now, it was Staley's first game back from a hand injury and, and after spending most of the season recovering from a leg injury. So there was some context there. But, uh, yeah, the, this, the offensive line was really good. And I, and I feel like that's probably a good reason why Jimmy was able to have such a good game. So, okay. We have Tony. Does Quan Alexander take his spot back, even though Greenlaw has been playing well? What do you think, Croc? I, I think they work him back in. I think he might, like, start the game on the field, but I don't know if he'll be in there every play. They might have certain packages where they, you know, have him in, you know, more times than not. But, um, yeah, full-time starter, I don't know about that, especially right away. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know about him being just a full-time starter, but he will be on the field. Right, and um, it's you. Obviously, when we're answering this, we are assuming that we're. It's hard to say. He could come back uh, for the divisional round on the eleventh. I I don't think he will. Um, but it, I'm assuming the Forty ers aren't going to let him take the field unless they are confident in his abilities to just play the game in a, in a completely normal fashion. So I feel like if they're going to put him back out there, they're going to put him in his spot right next to Warner and Greenlaw is going to go back to, um, you know, his role as the Sam linebacker. So, you know, but they don't have to do that. They know Greenlaw can hold it down. So there's, you know, it's, it's who knows, who knows? So we'll see. It's just a matter of, of how confident they are in his feeling. They could, they could ease him back. Like Crocker said, um, 
But again, we're talking about a hypothetical situation when he comes back and the 49ers still have to have some work to do before we get to that. So we have Ian, reasonable snap count for D Ford. Uh, if D Ford come back, comes back, I would probably say, and, and he hasn't been playing. I don't have the percentage here. I know overall he's played 22% of, of the snaps, defensive snaps. Now, I don't know if that is including the games that he didn't play in. I don't think so. I think that's just the games he's played in. He's only played 22% of snaps. So I, would, I wouldn't expect him to play more than that. The 49ers were already using him in a very specific pass rushing role, um, making sure they, they know you can tell by the way they use him. They know he has struggled with injuries. So they're trying to just put him out there and he's still gotten injured, but they're trying to just put him out there when they know they, they can turn him loose. So I would expect, you know, him to be primarily a, a you know, a third and long type of pass rusher or an obvious passing situation type of guy. And, and even then he's probably not going to play during every pass rushing snap. So it's, it, it depends. It depends on how confident they are in his hamstring. They brought him back too early last time and he got hurt even worse. So, you know, it's, it's tough to say, obviously when you're in, when you're in the playoffs, there's nothing left to lose. You go, you, 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 you know, put all your, all your chips on the table and go for it. But at the same time, they don't just want to hurt the guy. So uh, what do you think, Rock? Yeah, I'd say about 15, 15 snaps and they'd all be, you know, just more, you know, definitely third downs and then, you know, a few second down long situations where they just want to get after the quarterback. Right, right. So we have Petro. Um, Off-season option. If OBJ could be got for a first rounder, should the Niners make that deal or re-sign Sanders? What you think? Re-sign Sanders. I agree. I agree. Obviously, Odo Beckham's an incredible talent, but there's been this weird combination of maybe it's him falling off. Maybe the situation sucks. <laughs> Obviously the Browns aren't, aren't where it needs to be, but it just seems like he's not playing to the level you would expect. I think he's still kind of writing off a little bit of the hype that he generated earlier in his career. And there just seems to be a certain level of drama that follows him around wherever he goes, whether that's his fault or not. And Sanders has just immediately messed so well with these guys. And he, and Jimmy Garoppolo obviously trusts him. He's made some huge plays. And I just feel like he's a guy that they should try and keep around until he's done playing football. Yeah, I'm an Odell Beckham you know, guy too, by the way. I mean, he's my favorite. Oh, I know, I know yeah, you he's are. My favorite so player you saying Sanders so, was, but you know, just you know. with what's going on with uh, in in Cleveland, it seems like kind of like he kind of bailed the first sign of, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not friction, but just, yeah, frustration, you know, distress. Yeah, frustration, like things were going the, great. The first sign of things not going well. Adversity. The first time of adversity, it seemed like he kind of started to bail on the situation. I mean, if he's telling guys going back to the 49ers game, which was like week four, <laughs> to come get me, that's not somebody that I would personally want in my locker room and on my team influencing my young players. So, right. Um, and, and, I love Odell Beckham and, and how great of a player he is and extremely talented. I, I just, if I'm a coach, I just wouldn't want that on my roster. No, I agree. And, basically would say the exact same thing. Like you can't have a guy that every time the ball doesn't go to him five plus times a game, he starts getting upset. Like, it's just not how it is. It's not how the team works, especially when you have a guy like Kittle or Debo or whoever on the team, that's also going to command their own targets. It's just, it's too much at this point. So, all right, James, um, will Quan Alexander's return make more of an emotional impact for the team or can he actually contribute on the field so soon after the injury? Um, I think it's both. I, I think that if they're going to let him get back out there and, and 
JJ or excuse me. Yeah. JJ Watt is playing. He had the same injury suffered about a week earlier. He's about to play in a playoff game. We'll see how well he does, but obviously he's an incredible talent. If to me, if Quan Alexander is on the field, he's going to have an impact on the field. He's going to be healthy. He's going to be ready to go. That's just it. Obviously we saw how good he can be towards the beginning of the season. If he's out there, he's going to have a positive impact period. I don't think he's going to be a liability. And that comes completely aside from the fact that he's a very emotional player. The the team has already admitted to him being a spark within the locker room and within that team. So if he's on the field, he's an emotional impact. He's an, a physical impact in every play. That's what I think. Yeah. And um, I probably should have answered this um, earlier when someone asked about him, but Maybe you just use him in more passing situations. Maybe like him and D4 come in on third and long situations because he is better in pass coverage than he is uh, against the run. Even though he does have an impact against the run, he will come through and have some big hits here and there. But Dre Greenlaw, um, according to like, I I just saw, man, I don't remember exactly who it was. I saw tweeted out. um, I know it was a 49er guy, but Greenlaw's tackling efficiency is much better than Quan Alexander's where Quan Alexander's pass coverage is much better. So maybe they can kind of play off of each other and you play green line more base downs and in sub packages or passing down situations, you have Quan Alexander out there. Right. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Let me go back up here. Okay. So we need to start firing through these questions pretty quick because we have still more to go and I don't want to skip anybody. So I feel bad. Um, Okay, here we are. We have John, how, and, and this one's for you, Croc. How does training camp differ in a bye week when you don't know your opponent yet? Um, or training. I, I think you mean like how, how how does practice go? If you don't know right, you know. yeah. How are they how are they practicing when they don't even know? Yeah, so I, I can't. Typically, in a bye week, you go home, like during the regular season. But obviously, playoffs is a little different, and I was never on the playoff teams. Uh, like to see how even in the arena league when we made playoffs, we didn't have a bye. So I couldn't even tell you how that works as far as, you know, preparing for who or what. Maybe you sharpen up things that you're personally doing and you think you can improve on. And then, you know, 49ers already know who the Seahawks are. They play them. Um, 49ers already uh, – who's another team that the 49ers can play? It's either the Seahawks. Well, yeah, they're Eagles, not going to play the Saints yet. So it would just be the, right. the Seahawks, so Eagles, the- or, or the Vikings. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm pretty sure the staff is putting together different cut-ups and things like that. Maybe you get introduced to a few different things that, you know, some of those teams like to do, and then you find out who you play and you go all in on it. But um, I'm pretty sure they don't have to do too much film studying right now to prepare for the Seahawks. They know exactly who that team is, and if there's any new wrinkles, they'll probably go over that. But, yeah, you kind of look at just the other teams and kind of what they probably like to do. Yeah, I agree. It's like I feel like they probably spent a decent amount of time correcting mistakes they made in the Seahawks game, things they needed to sharpen up no matter who they were going to play. And then they probably came up with like some real light contingencies, not contingencies, but real light game plans for the Vikings and for the Eagles. And like you said, they don't need to come up with anything for the Seahawks. They, they're going to know what they're going to do against them no matter what. So I feel like they would just come up with some real light game plans and maybe some a, f- a few different play calls for those other teams and then, then just roll with it. Um, Daniel... All right, this is probably going to come. Can you can you break down? And I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you on this one, Croc, because I know you're gonna be able to talk about it. Can you break down the Akello uh, Witherspoon slash Emmanuel Moses situation? What would you do? Yeah, it's a tough situation because I, I was just watching the All 22, and I'm watching it. And I'm just like, Akello Witherspoon isn't playing bad, and I know it seems weird because you see the the targets and the high completion percentage against him, but it, it just seemed like something where he's just a little bit more unlucky 
than playing bad football. Like if he's just getting whooped and he can't cover anybody, I would be able to accept that. But when I cut on the film, I was expecting to see that. And all I saw was, well, his initial coverage is really good, but Russell Wilson is buying time and being able to complete passes on him and throw into tight windows. Because if you look at a lot of the completions, he's right there, except for the one touchdown to DK McCaffrey. Yeah, he just got beat on that play. But um, outside of that, he was right there for pretty much all the plays, and a lot of them were just Russell Wilson buying time and, and scrambling and throwing perfect passes on the run. So, you know, just those type of situations is real tough. Uh, I don't know what you do. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, results are results. And maybe you do look and see what you have in uh, Mosley. We know he can play well. It's, it's tough, man. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision because, like I said on film, it doesn't look like Witherspoon is playing bad. It doesn't look like he can't cover. But when you see the results of some of these plays, it's like, well, they're not going his way. And, yeah, sometimes in, in football you need a little luck. You need a late throw. You need a bad pass here and there, and it seems like he's not getting any of those. But Mosley did. On There was a slant route uh, later in the game, and DK McCaff, like, he just whooped. Emmanuel Mosley off the line, and if he's the first read, uh, Russell Wilson throws his, his slant, and he just walks in for a touchdown on that last drive. But Russell Wilson, he, that wasn't his first read, so he came to it late, and he ended up throwing it, and it gave Mosley enough time to recover and break up a pass, and he looks like the hero. But really, it's like, ah, you got a little lucky that that uh, McCaff wasn't the first read there because that, that was an easy walk-in touchdown. Damn. That would have sucked for the Niners. <laughs> um Lee, right after that, asked, will Mosley start instead of Spoon? And it, I, since Crocker kind of already offers his thoughts on that, I'm going to say yes. I'll say he does start, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll say I, he I does would start. too. I'd say yes, only because my, my thoughts are, if you're going to put Emmanuel Mosley in at the end of the game in the most dire situation when you need your best player out there the most, not to say they think Mosley's the best player in that way, but if you're going to have him out there at the end of the game against the Seahawks, then you're going to have him out there at the start of the game next round. Like, if you're okay, if you're comfortable with putting out putting him out there in that situation, then to me that's you officially saying, okay, we're making the switch. And the last thing the 49ers need is those two guys competing throughout the playoffs right. for reps. But now you have to you go know, with a guy. If you make that decision, you, do. you, you do. have to go with him. You have to go with him. So if it's if it's Mosley, then you just have to go with Mosley and Mosley and kind of live with that uh that 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 decision. And that's probably something that they've kind of tried to stay away from. But, you know, if, if, if it, if that's what your decision is, you got, you got to kind of stick with that because cornerbacks can't play with cornerbacks emotions. And that's when their, their, their confidence really kind of wavers and stuff like that. Now they start looking over their shoulders off. Oh, I give up a catch. Somebody else is going to be running in to take me out. So yeah, if you make that decision, you're going with Mosley, you're going to have to ride with that. Yep. And I, and I pretty much think they've already done that. And when they switched them out, but we'll see. They might, they can go back. So, all right, Caleb wants to know um, how do you view the Cardinals? Are they a threat next year for a wild card spot or even the division with a good offseason, or are they still another year or so away? Uh, I think they're another year or so away, but I think they're already in a good spot. Like, I feel like they're going to be competitive. They are, they are obviously gave the Niners, uh, both games were close. So, I think they're in a good spot. I've been impressed with them this year. Obviously, they they beat the Seahawks handedly in Seattle too. So I don't think the Cardinals are in a bad spot at all. And I think it, it bodes well for the NFC West as a whole that that they can be competitive too. But um, no, I don't. I don't think they're. I, I don't think they're to be taken light lightly by any means. And I think Kyler Murray is only going to get better. Um, what do you think, Croc? Uh, 
Yeah, I think they're they're, they're actually a good offseason away from being able to be a team to compete for a wild card spot. You 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 can go from uh, worst to first. We just saw the 49ers do it. So it's, it's never out of the question um, if a team can do it. it. It's just on them to see, you know, what type of um, pieces they put around uh, their young quarterback. And, and if they if they get the right guys and everything clicks and they, they have a higher draft pick now, and, you know, some guys develop and, you know, Patrick Peterson plays for a full year, who, you know, they still got Chandler Jones and, you know, yeah, they, they can – they can definitely be a wild card team or, or just a playoff team in general. Yeah, I agree for sure. All right, Dustin, um, is there any hope for Dante Pettis to get out of the doghouse? Seems like a waste of talent to not give him some playing time. You can argue he won the game for us with his touchdowns against Pittsburgh and Arizona. Wouldn't have the one seed without him. Well, there's hey, – go ahead, Croc. What do you think? Not this year. No, I don't think either. No, it, he could have an incredible offseason. I think the 49ers are going to stick with him. I don't, you know, they could trade him. There's a lot of people that think that the Niners are going to bail on them. I don't think they bail on them. I think they, they definitely give him next offseason to, you know, figure it out. Right. Because there's, there's going to be a role there for them taking, you know, that Kendrick Bourne is, you know, his, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with him. I believe they can put a, he's a restricted free agent. They could put a tender on him. Um, but they're going to, there's going to be a competition there. You know, I think Debo Samuel is going to be firmly at that and his, one slash two spot. I think they're going to hold on to Sanders. If I had to predict that, I think they're going to re-sign Emmanuel Sanders. And I think he's going to want to stay around. And I think that, you know, they might have sort of a competition between Kendrick Bourne and Dante Pettis to earn that other role. And I think Pettis is capable of earning it. The guy's shown a ton of talent. He's just had some bad plays. You can tell some stuff has gone on behind the scenes. Um, but it, like when he says you wouldn't have the one seed without him, sure. But also, but he's also been eclipsed by the other receivers that have also made plays to to keep the 49ers in games and win games. So I don't think that is really going to be what's holding holds him there. But I, I think there's a chance he pulls himself out of the doghouse. But it, like you said, it's not going to be this year. Um, Jace. Do you think we will be able to play like our weeks one through eight form where we were able to run for 250 yards a game and get more than five sacks per game? And if we, could would be able to make it to the Super Bowl and beat the Ravens. I mean, yeah, if all those things happen, sure. Yeah, the 49ers could beat anybody. If you can run for 250 yards a game and get more than five sacks, then you're pretty much going to win every game. Um, but you're going against, uh, you know, Super Bowl caliber teams at this point. So we'll see. I do, you know, the 49ers have been in a little bit of a sack drought. Uh, I think they got to Wilson once, uh, might have been twice. Um, but you know, it, it hasn't been anywhere near the, the level that they've played with towards the beginning of the season. That's a combination of many things. The team's much healthier than, than they are now, and we'll see. But if they can do those things, then sure. Yeah, they would they would win every game. Uh, Rudy wants uh, Akello versus Mosley, considering all factors, D-line injuries, QBs played. Uh, we kind of already went into that one. Um, if we'll, we'll, we'll phrase it this way. Croc, if you had to choose which one to start, which one would you start? Like – Right now, or just like in general? Yeah, if, well, I mean, just right now, like like going into the next game, who would you, if you had to choose after what you saw against Seattle, who would you pick? I, I'd still choose Witherspoon, just just off of what I saw in the All Twenty Two. But it is tough because again, oh, excuse me, uh, again, results and the results of some of the Witherspoon plays have been a lot of completions against him. So it's kind of hard to justify keeping them. But just what I put on All Twenty Two. I didn't see anything wrong with his coverage for the, you know, 90% of the snaps. It was more Russell Wilson buying time and, uh, and um, throwing some money passes. So um, yeah, I, I probably would 
keep him there, but maybe that would be the wrong decision, and I regret it. I, I don't know, but just off of what I saw, yeah, I kind of stick with with this one. Okay, Mark wants to know who should San Francisco focus on locking in long term more: Eric Armstead or DeForest Buckner? Um, to me, the answer is e- easily DeForest Buckner, just based on their their body of work and what Buckner's shown, what Armstead's shown, and and everything considered injuries and dependability and stuff. But that being said. I think Buckner is the candidate for here's your long-term extension, but I'm going to do everything in my power to keep Eric Armstead. He's just been playing out of his mind. And I would try to keep, do everything I could to keep that cohesion within that defensive line, the same as it was this year going into next year. Now that's going to be hard for them to do. There is some, some fat they can trim off the rest of the roster. As far as contracts go, there's some guys that are probably going to be cut some contracts that are probably going to be worked. If they really want to keep Armstead, they could franchise tag him, which I think will probably be North of like 17, 18 million. And to me, it's I'm gonna I'm gonna give DeForest Buckner the long term extension, but I'm all, I'm gonna do everything I can to keep Armstead. Do you? What do you think? Yeah, I, if I had to choose between the two, I would say Buckner. The guy's just. I, I think he gets a lot more attention. He right. he gets a lot more attention than Armstead. So I think sometimes you know, yeah, he doesn't have like the big time you know splash, splash plays. I, I think he's taking on a lot of uh, other responsibilities. Maybe he's the one that's supposed to be taking on doubles and and tying up people and it kind of frees up other guys. So. Okay, we have Sam. Okay, should E-Man get the start over Akello? Obviously, we've hit that one. Appreciate the question, Sam, but I think you've probably got your answer by now. Um, all right, Nate, am I mistaken that our defensive strength is less about Sala than it is about the players and position coaches? Does he really deserve the praise that he's getting? Go, Croc. It, it works hand in, yeah, it, it works hand in hand. Coaches need talent, and talent needs coaches, so – you know, when you have two, you know, the, the two and, and it comes together, then you have a really good team. When you don't have talent, it is extremely difficult to get the results that you want. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say it works hand in hand. Couldn't have said I've been any better myself, for sure. Um, Sonal, I hope I said that right. Sonal, what impact do you think Earl Mitchell will have? Um, and if you didn't know, the 49ers signed a defensive lineman Earl Mitchell to kind of fill that DJ Jones nose tackle role. Obviously, was with the team last year, spent the preseason with the Seahawks and hasn't been on a team. Uh, I mean, I don't expect him to have much of an impact. The, the biggest thing that he, you know, it depends on how, how well he stayed in shape and, and how ready he is to go. But the one thing he's going to have going for himself is he's going to be completely healthy amongst a bunch of defensive and offensive linemen that are hurting. So, you know, his first few snaps, whatever team the 49ers are playing, or maybe his first quarter, whatever it adds up to be, he's, he's going to, he'll probably shock some offensive linemen and how fast he's coming off the ball and how well he's moving. Uh, but even, even in his best games, he, he never really had a huge impact for the 49ers, but again, they, they wanted somebody they, they were putting Solomon Thomas there. They were trying Contavious street there guys who didn't normally play on the inside. They were kind of putting them there and seeing how they did. So it'll it'll kind of shore up a spot for them. It's just he's more of a a guy that's used in base packages that's only in about 25, 30% of the time. So I don't know, Croc, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not expecting too much from him, but, you know, just something like what we've seen from Street, right? You know, a few snaps here and there. And, you know, hopefully he can, you know, get a couple, you know, stops, run stops. But I'm not expecting too much, you know, from him. Nothing crazy, at least. 
Right, right. And this one's from Michael, and, and, and I agree with you, Croc. That's just – I wouldn't expect him to – you know, if, if he comes out and makes a, a, a huge play, then, then I feel like you've already gotten your money's worth. Um, Michael said, probably too late to get on the pod. Nope, we're here. You're on it. Let's go. However, if you see this, I'd love to know your thoughts on why Coleman keeps getting to start over Breida and Moster when his pro- productivity isn't comparable. What do you think, Croc? Go for it. I like I said, it has to be like Bobby Turner or something. I don't know the answer to that, but um, I mean, I really like the way Breda ran, and obviously, most of this, you know, uh, running extremely well right now. So, um, why Coleman gets the starts and gets a bulk of the early carries, I, I'm not sure. Uh, also, um, Breda, I think he fumbled a couple times um, against the Falcons, so that might be a reason why maybe they don't trust him as much right now. I um, mean, he hasn't gotten the carries like that, but uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why Coleman is the one that starts the game and gets the bulk of the carries. It seems like they like something specific with him running a little bit more inside run type stuff. So um, that's just kind of what, what I've seen. Yep, I agree. All right, Mike, you think Mostert becomes more of a bell cow back now that every snap is that much more important? Or do Coleman and Brita still get mixed in? Uh, the wind can tackle Coleman lately. <laughs> Dang. Uh, sorry, Tevin, if you're listening. That That's from Mike. That's not from us. Um, I think they're going to they're going to maintain the status quo and and do what's been working for them, you know, ride the horse that, that got you there and I think that uh Mostert's going to get the majority of the carries. Uh, I think if if Coleman or Brita if, if there was an option of mixing one in more than two, I think probably Brita's going to get mixed in a little bit more than Coleman. Uh it's just a matter of whether or not like Turner or Shanahan trust him and the fact that he's he's kind of had some fumble scares lately. So we'll see. Uh, but I, if, if I had to predict the way they're going to do it, I think that they'll just keep doing it the way they are doing it. And there's no reason to, to, to give anybody else touches over Raheem right now because he's just playing that good. So uh, Lucas, rumors have said that the Niners might tease out their first pick. If so, do you see them drafting a wide receiver in the second round? Seems they've given up on Pattis. If they don't trade that pick, who do you see them picking? So when he says tease their first pick, I think he's kind of a suit because the 49ers don't have a second or third pick right now. They gave their second up for D Ford and they gave their third rounder up for Emmanuel Sanders. So uh, everybody pretty much assumes the 49ers are going to trade back to try and get maybe a second and a third rounder. So, um, but anyways, the other question is, do you see them drafting a wide receiver in the second round what do you think croc no i don't see the 49ers drafting receiver at all i i mean there's going to be some really talented receivers that follow them because it's such a deep receiver class that being said last year they drafted debo samuel in the second round jalen hurd in the third round uh they like i said i think they're going to keep emmanuel sanders they like kendrick Bourne a lot i just and and sanders Samuel and Bourne have really developed into a very solid one, two, three, like not one is in wide receiver one, but those are the, that's their, their leading three. And I think they have a lot of faith in those guys. And I just, if all three of them are there next year, I don't feel like they're going to feel like they need much there. Right. And you still want to see what you have in, in Dante Pettis. They're going to give him his time. Um, And then obviously there's Jalen Hurd who, you know, spent the year on IR and you have to see what you have in him. He was a third round pick. And Trent Taylor, I don't know what's going on with his foot, but if he comes back, um, I mean, he was the best receiver in training camp. So I just don't see them just with with, with those um, guys in the waiting I, and with the guys that you mentioned, I don't see them. And then obviously uh, George Kittle, who's really our wide receiver one, I just don't see them drafting receiver at all. They've used so much draft capital. That's part of the reason why they don't have a third and fourth round pick um, this year. So. Gotcha. I agree. I agree. Um, Scarlett, 
Any idea if the team will wear the 94 uniforms for the playoffs? I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to probably wear their normal home uniforms. But, I mean, I don't know. They've had good luck with those those pearly whites. So, I mean, I, I'd be all for it if they chose to. But at the same time, you know, the, to me, the classic red and gold, like they're, it's just one of the best uniforms in the NFL. You can't go wrong with just wearing your normal home uniform. I would like to see the all-back uniforms just once. I mean, we I haven't seen they're not going to wear them now, I, though. If, if they didn't wear them this season, they're not going to wear them now. I know, but I, I, I love. I like them a lot too. I like them as a changeup. Like just you know, just give me them one one time a year. That's all. I know a I lot know, of people complain about them. Just, I just want to. I just want to see them once. And if I My saw truck them is all black the with red accents, bro. Like I, I love. Them. <laughs> I, if, if I saw them run out on the field with those in the playoff game, I'd be so psyched. I'd, I'd be hyped. <laughs> Yeah, so I I don't think they're going to go back to the 94s. I don't know, I, but who knows? Especially given they have home field advantage for the rest of the playoffs, I think they're gonna they're gonna want to rock their their red and golds and, and stick with tradition. But we'll see. So okay, we only got a few more left. Um, the West is not enough from Zeke. Is it safe to say losing the Atlanta game the way we did prepared us to win the West and get the number one seed versus Seattle? I believe every single loss in life is a lesson. Well, what do you guys say? What do you think, Croc? Mm-hmm. Mm, no. I think the entire <laughs> season just kind of prepared them for not really that situation, but at the end of the day, it's like you just have to make a play. And 49ers made the play at a time when they needed it. I, I think that's all that was. I, I don't think it was like, oh, we had a close game against Atlanta. Like, remember that? Like, like you know, now maybe I guess preparation, like uh, with Dre Greenlaw, like, hey, you know, if, if these things are away, like look inside, remember what happened against Atlanta. But just as far as like how the game went in the sense of the overall game, I don't think so. Maybe that last play just gave them something to think about next time they were on the goal line. And we have one of the very, very last questions. I agree. I, I mean, I, well, I do think that, that maybe that loss, like put a nice little like sour taste in their mouth. Like, okay, we can't do that again type of deal. I feel like that would, you know, that, it was more of a culmination of everything and them coming off just that gauntlet of games and kind of just having the inevitable letdown game. I, I do feel like it, it kind of pissed them off a little bit. Like, okay, we can't do whatever they just did. We can't do that again. But again, I, I feel like they were probably primed to do what they were going to do anyways. But uh, Zach wants to know what's the latest when Kentavious street. I mean, he's healthy. He's, he's back in the game. He wasn't inactive for against the Seattle, but it, unless I looked at something wrong, I don't really think he played. Um, I thought I saw that he didn't even have snaps, so I could be completely wrong. I need to, I, I should look at this right now, uh, just to make sure I'm not completely spitting something completely wrong. But I looked at this earlier and I'm not sure he played. I'm not sure he played, but I'm, I'm putting in the time right yeah, now. I'm not, I'm not. I don't remember seeing his name. Um, does it have snap counts on Mr. Pro Football Reference? There we go. Snap counts. Doesn't list him on a game. I think it lists him in a season. Game three for okay. I'd have to I'd have to try and find snap counts per game. I'm on Pro Football Reference right now. I don't think he played against uh, Seattle. I think that they were relying more on Solomon Thomas uh, on the inside there. So, but we'll we'll see. I don't, there's nothing wrong with him. He's healthy. He's back, uh, and and he'll be a part of that rotation moving through the through the playoffs. And then our last question is from. Jesse and he says no Jace and he all he wrote was who are you so I think that might be a good way to, to kind of segue to the to close out our show <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like but uh and then there's one more down here that I missed um he said 
there's not a name. It says, mm-hmm, like that's his name, M-M-H-M-M. Um, <laughs> end zone's painted red for the playoffs. Yeah, I assume so. Definitely. I assume so. They better be. That's the way they got to be. Um, if they're going to go with the red uniforms and get all classic, then those those unif- then those end zones should be painted red. But anyways, like Jay said, who are you? Um, I'm Rob Lauder. You've been listening to me and Eric Crocker talk about, you know, and we definitely went longer this episode. We're well over an hour. Um, so hopefully I don't get a, a mean-spirited text from our, our, our awesome head of Blue Wire up there, Kevin Jones. But obviously when we do a mailbag, I wanted to hit everybody's questions. I just didn't want to bail. So, um, and I believe we did. I believe we hit everybody's questions. I, I know we had like 30 plus. I appreciate you guys sending us those. Um, it just seemed like a good time to do a mailbag with the bye week and stuff. And, and who knows, we'll probably do another one before season's end. Uh, Eric Crocker, you got any, got any closing thoughts? I mean, we'll, the 49ers aren't going to play this weekend and we'll pot again before they, they podcast or before they play again. So we'll be back to you guys talking to you about whoever they're going to play, but you have any, uh, closing thoughts before we roll out of here? Nah, man, just, you know, enjoy these games this weekend and, uh, yeah, man, everybody be safe. And, you know, have a good time, man. Oh, 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 yeah, one last thing, man. There was this kid um, uh, commit to Georgia Tech, man. He killed himself. And uh, he, he was going through a tough time, tough situation, homeless, um, you know, struggling. Uh, I, I listened to his mom talk about what happened. And she spoke about how, you know, he was trying to tell her. And she knew something was wrong. And, and he ended up walking in front of a train and killing himself. But uh, if if you're having issues, please, like, just try to talk to somebody, reach out to anyone. If you have nobody else to reach out to, reach out to me. Um, and we can talk. I'll give you my number, you know, whatever, you know, I'm a, me and Rob, we're both here for you guys. So, um, yeah, man. Hell yeah, man. If, if you're, if that's going through your head, you give me a call and you send me your address. I don't care if it reads comma New York at the end, I will drive or fly my ass out there <laughs> to make sure that you don't leave this planet before you're supposed to, right. because there's nothing more, you know, the, the best phrase about suicide that I've ever heard was suicide is a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Right, right. And and once you do that, there's no going back. And I believe that anybody who gets to that point in their life can be redeemed and, and everything can be can become better and you can work your way through it. So, you know, that's unfortunate to, to hear too, especially for somebody who sounds like they had a bright future in front of them. And, you know, you know, like I said, but I appreciate you bringing that up, Croc, because, you know, you never know. So, you could yeah, get a DM on Twitter and, and, and all of a sudden it's real. Yeah. Uh, enjoy this game these, this weekend. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, enjoy the fact that, I mean, with the way the 49ers have been playing, every single game for like the past five weeks have been super stressful 49ers games. Enjoy the fact that they're going to get their first bye week since week four over three months ago. They're going to get time off. You get time off. Enjoy the games. Talk shit to your friends that their team is sucking or their team's out of the playoffs or their team's about to lose in the playoffs. Be one of those horrible football fans that just talk shit even though their team's not even there. But just have fun with it and then be prepared for the fact that the 49ers are playing are, are back in the playoffs. And uh, um, that pretty much sums it up for another episode. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here, especially for still listening. An hour and 10 minutes later, if you've tolerated both of us this long, um, shout out to you. I appreciate you. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Say what's up. Let us know you like the pod or hated the pod. I don't care. Constructive criticism. It's all good. Um, but that's another one for us. Again, we will see you next week. We will re- be recording again before the Niners have their next game. So, um, again, appreciate you for being here. And this is Striking Gold signing off.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.